I want to thank you for all that y'all have done for us being part of our ministry. And uh, it was a blessing to meet your pastor prior to coming to start the church, and they've been a huge blessing to us. And then to see the start of the church, and y'all took us on, and then now to get to come back and see what God has done over the last five years. Is that, that correct? Six? Six years. Amazing. God has done amazing things. And it's, God can continue to do amazing things. Amen? Amen. All right. Amen. Yes. So we, we again, are the Nate and Kate uh, Nichols Family Missionaries. You're missionaries in Brazil. And I'll give everybody's name real quick, but you can see them on. I saw everybody's name is on the, uh, the, the missionary card. And so my oldest is Gabriel. He is six years old. And then we have Andrew, who is four. And then we have Bella, who is a year and eight months, nine months. And then Michael is our newest addition. He is five months old. Uh, he looks like he's Bella's age, though, because he's a big boy. But anyway, um, trying to think where I should go here. The video is a great uh, presentation of exactly what happened to us. So a little background real fast is that I'm a second-generation missionary to Brazil. My parents went to Brazil in 85 uh, as missionaries, and they're still serving there until today. So I'm the fifth out of seven kids. I am the first born in Brazil, and so obviously as a kid, the one thing I didn't want to do was be a missionary, uh, but God finally got a hold of my heart, and uh, I said, Lord, if you want me to be a missionary, then I will be a missionary, and God eventually called me back to Brazil, and so I had been here in the States for maybe 10 years. I came up to Bible college and then uh, waited around for my father-in-law to say yes so I could marry Kate, and then after that, uh, we went on deputation, so it ended up being about a 10-year span, but in my mind, I thought... Being back in Brazil would be, I, I miss Brazil, and Brazil I think was probably, if I would say is my, uh, I don't know, my first language, Portuguese would be my first language, so I thought it would be fun to go back to Brazil, but literally as we stepped off the plane, what the video said is what we were thinking, I thought, Lord, what have we done? Because if you visited other countries, they don't smell like the states, and that's the first thing that hits you, so when we stepped off the plane, you you come out and uh, you're walking by people and they don't smell great. Hygiene's not the best. And then you walk by any kind of like drain, drain area and uh, the sewage system is, is potent. And uh, as we're headed out to Carmel where my brother lives, again, out in the, it's a large city, but it's out in the middle of nowhere. There's not much around there. Uh, my oldest son, Gabriel, is, has various allergies and his largest allergy, his biggest allergy is to dust. And the video shows exactly the time of year we got there. So there's dust everywhere, and I'm starting to think, Lord, what are we doing here? You know, what, 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 did I miss it? Were we supposed to be here? Uh, but God had us exactly where he wanted us to be. And it took a little while for us to get the right, as I said, perspective, because this is nothing new to God. God called us there, amen? And if he calls you, he will empower you to do exactly what he called you to do. And I knew that, right? I grew up as a missionary kid, as a pastor's kid. I knew that. But it's different when you have to put it in practice in your own life. And so it was a year, probably about a year, of uh, the Lord just working on our heart. And uh, we finally, to give you an example, when we got to Carmel, Gabriel, my, my first son, was born here. But because I am dual citizen, he had the option of becoming a Brazilian citizen. So we did all the work, paperwork here that we could do at the consulate in Atlanta. And so he's a citizen, but not really. We had to finish registering him in Brazil when we got there. And so I go to the courthouse to register Gabe. I give him all the paperwork that we had tediously done here. And they said, well, you missed this paperwork, so you go to this other courthouse or this other courtroom, wherever, uh, to get this. And then once I get there, they're like, well, you should have gotten this paper from them. And so we go back and forth for about a day and a half. And then when I finally turn everything in, 
The lady goes, okay. I said, how long do you think this process will take? She said, oh, about two days. Two days and I'll have it all done and he'll be, he'll be registered here as a Brazilian citizen. It took two months for them to just finish that first step. And so, again, this is us getting back into Brazil, getting used to the culture again. They love standing in line. Uh, and so anywhere you go, there are lines everywhere. And as Americans, we don't like lines, right? So getting used to everything. So you go to pay a bill and you stand in line for half an hour. But it's good because now with the right attitude, you get to witness for half an hour. Where else are they going to go? They're going to stand there with you until they can pay their bills too. Uh, so it's, it's just learning God's perspective on things. And really, truly what it is, is loving souls. That's the reason we went to Brazil is because of souls. Amen? That's the reason God sent his son to die, because of souls. And uh, if we keep that in mind, then everything else isn't really a big deal. And so that's what we learned uh, in the video. Again, one blessing real quick, and I'm going to have to hurry things up because I tend to talk too much. But Carmel, the first city we're at where my brother Charlie is, uh, one of the huge blessings for me was to see God work during COVID because uh, immediately as COVID hit Brazil, they shut down all the churches in Brazil. And basically, we were, the city was shut down kind of military style. So you couldn't leave the city. There was only one exit that wasn't um, guarded. And uh, the, the, the exit was guarded, but it wasn't blockaded. I, um, they put dirt and all kinds of stuff blocking all of the entrances and exits to the city. So there was only one in and out. And you had to show proof that you lived there. And you had to go through a, a health booth where you, they took your temperature and make sure you didn't have COVID or a fever. So this was daily life for us. Uh, you couldn't be walking down the street or the police would catch you and send you home. And if you did that too many times, they'd send you to jail. You'd pay a fine. So this is how COVID went for us. So they did not allow uh, churches to open for about five months. So as a new pastor, pastoring there, I'm thinking, well, this is not going to go very well. Charlie left, my brother Charlie left me a, a church that was growing well, and he's going to come back and there's going to be like 10 people left because uh, we can't meet. And now the church members don't even want me to visit them because they're afraid of COVID. And... Um, but God bless, we did, went online, and it was amazing to see how God worked. People were joining the online services. They didn't join church, obviously, until church opened again, but then they were there. And uh, giving went skyrocketed throughout COVID. They just gave and gave and gave and gave. So when Charlie came back, we moved on to Hebedon. He took the church back over, and towards the end of that year, they went and they purchased two lots uh, in a great area of town. So now they own land, which, you know, too many times I think we put God in a box of what God can do based on our experience of what we've seen God do. And what's amazing is, if God can create the universe, why can't we think that God can do anything? And so I have personally never seen God use a Brazilian church to purchase their own land because they don't get a lot of money a month. Uh, the average salary still in Brazil is about $250 a month. So they work all month to make $250. And so for them to buy a property that's worth $20,000 is a lot of money. And so I would have said, there's no way, maybe 10 years from now, they can have enough. God provided that. And so I'm, I'm excited to see what God has done there. I'm excited to see what God has done here. And we're excited to see what God's going to do for us as we head to Brazil. At the end of the video, I said that we have two places that we were looking at. And that was probably one of the hardest things we did this term, was as we're getting to the end of the term, there's so many places to serve. And so initially... I got in my truck and I visited cities around the city of Carmel do Rio Claro because I thought it would be great for us to be able to start a work here close to my brother. And so basically I tried to visit each city that was about two hours distance from the city where he was ministering. And um, 
what I thought would be a lot of fun and enjoyable to be able to visit turned out to be a huge burden because if you think with me as you get to the city, and I would take notes of every church in the city, and I would try to take down the population and, and what was their main um, you know, financial resource and how they made their money to better know the people as I sat there and then eventually got out and started talking to people. When you start realizing that a city of 10,000 all the way up to like 30,000 people, depending on which city, they've never had a church that preaches the gospel. It's not that they don't have churches. They have plenty of churches. But they all include something other than Christ for the gospel, for, to be saved. They preach Jesus and baptism or coming to church or do you understand. They always add something. And so as you sit there and you look at those people and you watch the kids go to school and mom and dad go about their daily lives and you start thinking that they've never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. They never will hear unless you or I go there. And that turned out to be a really big burden for me because we're looking at which which one city we can go to. And here are 15 cities that, to my knowledge, have never had one person come and give a clear presentation of the gospel. If we truly believe that hell is eternal, then it's a huge burden as you look at those people and know that tomorrow they could be gone into eternity. So we started praying. God gave us opportunity. It's a long story, so I can't tell it now, but to go down south Brazil. And it's a whole different Brazil. It's totally different from anything I've been part of in Brazil. The, red, the part where we grew up, where I grew up and we served, I call it the redneck part of Brazil. So I fit right in. We're usually based out of Alabama, so redneck. Um, it's just kind of backwards. It's kind of um, a little more backwards than a lot of Brazil. And, um, but when we went down south, it's very beautiful. It's just a beautiful area, but it was colonized by Germans. And they weren't the Germans that fled in World War I and World War II, because we have a lot of those in Brazil as well. These are, are way prior to that, like 1850. They came over, and they colonized the area where we're going to. They, they built it. The city is built by them. They're very proud, very traditional, and um, God just has slowly given us a burden for them. So I believe in, when we go back to Brazil, we would be going back to the city of Pomeroji to start a church. And so we really, really covet your prayers because it's going to be different for us. One, they, it's the one place in Brazil that I fit in because everywhere I go in Brazil, they say, oh, you're German. Where are you from? Because I'm white. Right? And I speak Portuguese, so obviously I'm not from where they're at. But down south, they speak Portuguese with a German accent. So now I'm the Brazilian because I don't speak it with a German accent. And so they never asked me where I was from. I fit right in down south. So that was fun. But uh, the, different, the big difference is this. They are Lutheran instead of Catholic. And we grew up, obviously, the biggest denomination where we grew up was Catholicism, Catholics. And so I have, we have no idea. We don't have any experience with that. Uh, but they, too, need the Lord. Amen? And they're very traditional. They're very family-oriented. They get their families up every Sunday, and they go to church, to the church that they grew up in. And uh, so we have no idea what we're going to face, but we do know that if God's sending us there, he will empower us to do his work. And again, we hope to not put God in a box, and we hope to see a great harvest of souls getting saved there. There's no reason that we can't start off with a bang and God just grow a church there. From there... Again, they're 30 minutes away. There's a city of 350,000 people, and there's not a single gospel-preaching church that we can find. Now, there could be, I guess, tucked away somewhere, but as far as we know, there's nobody there either. So there's, if you get Christ's burden for souls, 
to have compassion on souls. You'll find souls anywhere you go. Amen. And that's what this month is about. Amen. That we get Christ's compassion on souls as he had and that we see souls everywhere we go. Amen. Not just in Brazil or in Italy, but here in America as well. Amen. There are plenty of people here that need Christ. America is not the witness that we once were for Christ, unfortunately. Uh, as we travel on furlough now, visiting churches that have supported us and visiting a few new churches, it's sad for me to see the state of many churches. Uh, and I appreciate that they support us, and I, I, I appreciate them. But unfortunately, many are losing the vision of souls. and We're just content to exist. But how long are we going to exist without souls? And then we have, if we've lost the vision for, to reach people, then we're not much of a church anymore. Um, so anyway, I will continue to talk and talk and talk. Right now, I think the best thing to do would be for me to open up for any questions that anybody might have, and I'll try to answer them the best that I can. But if, um, and if I don't answer your question correctly, or if you have questions later, feel free to ask us at any time. And please do pick up a prayer card and pray for us. That's probably our biggest request is just prayer, because what dawned on us, and we should have known this, is that going to Brazil, being fully ready to serve there, um, me speaking Portuguese, Kate now speaking Portuguese, we still can't do anything on our own. If God isn't there with us and he's not working on hearts, then absolutely nobody will get saved. And so we covet your prayers that God will truly have his hand on our life and that something great will be done for his glory, not for ours, but for God's glory. So we covet your prayers. All right, does anybody have a, prayer, uh, a question? Yes, sir, brother. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, Mostly Portuguese. If you go down south Brazil, it's, they'll have German. Like this city, they probably speak equal German and Portuguese. Um, and so there's that. And then if you go up towards the Amazon, which we're, we're real far from, I guess from us to the Amazon would be kind of like Florida to South Dakota. That's how far we will be from the Amazon. So very far. Uh, but in the Amazon, they'll have so many different dialects up there that I have no idea a lot. But major, major languages would be... They speak Portuguese, and then in school they learn either Spanish or English, so usually people go for English uh, because it gives them a better shot at getting a better job later on in life. And so their English in Brazil is getting a lot better. It was really, really bad, but in the last 10 years they've gotten a lot better. So your chances of going to Brazil and finding somebody that speaks English are very high. So they, would, they, they try to do well in English as well. Anybody else? Um, we will be about 12 hours from Sao Paulo now, um, so further south. So Sao Paulo will be north of us, northeast of us. It's, it's huge. Uh, it fluctuates a lot, but it's about, I think currently, it's about 13 million people in that area. Yes, sir. It is huge and um, very daunting when you drive through it. There's just people everywhere. Pastor. I think so. I think it will. Because if they're like any of the other part of Brazil, they're going to be distrustful of us immediately because we aren't from there. Uh, we are American, so they're a little distrustful, and they're going to immediately think we have money and we're there for some reason other than reaching them. And so you have to break through that, and I think one of the best ways to do that would be to live like them and to speak like them. Obviously, we don't live like them to the extent they do, 
they have Oktoberfest there every year, just like they do in Germany. So that little area will swell 100,000 people. Well, yeah, yeah. So it's huge. I mean, people come from all around, which, again, it's not all about drinking. Praise the Lord. When it's not about drinking, we can go out and witness a lot, which would be great. It's, a, I think, a week-long thing. So. But there's a lot of opportunities down there. Yes, yes sir. Well, um, I love witnessing Brazil, and I'll, I'll just give you, this is the greatest challenge, I believe. Um, Brazil has been stooped in Catholicism all of its history, and so as a people, it's, it's actually changed their way of life. They're very polite people because being polite and being nice is part of good works, and those get you to heaven. So if I go to somebody's house, you don't just walk into somebody's house. When they invite you in, you say, excuse me. That's how polite they are. So you say, excuse me, and you, know, you don't go anywhere until they invite you in again. Um, if I pulled gum out here, just to give you an idea of how it is in Brazil, and a pack of gum, and I just pulled a piece out for me, well, I'm super rude because everybody saw me pull that pack of gum out, so I have to offer it to everybody that I saw that saw me pull the gum out. <laughs> but if you say yes when I offer it to you, you're super rude because you should never be that greedy. So you say no. <laughs> but if I don't offer it again, then I'm greedy and I'm super rude. So I have to offer. So we do that three times. I say, you want it? You say no. Back and forth. And then if you really want it, the fourth time you can say yes, and I'll give you a piece of gum. So that's how it goes. Uh, that's how. Uh, so when you're out soul winning, and this, this is the example. When you're out soul winning, we go, and where we're at in Minas, you don't get to get to the door. You stand out outside of a wall. So we clap, and they hear you, and they come out, and they usually let you in because, again, it's a good work. It's a pastor. They're talking about the Bible, so it's a good work, so you've got to let them in and hear what they're going to say. And so they'll let you in. They usually give you a little cup of coffee, a little biscuit or something to eat. Uh, and then they'll sit down, and they will listen to you attentively. Even if they hate your guts, if they know who you are, if they don't like your church, they will smile, and they'll act like you're a big deal. They will listen the whole time. And if you're not careful, you'll lead them in the prayer. They'll get saved. They don't believe anything you've said. They don't understand anything you're saying. But they'll repeat a prayer. So we don't repeat prayers much in Brazil. It's best to let them pray their own prayer. So you can see that they truly understood what we are talking about. So that's our biggest, I would say, difficulty, other than the new, evangel new evangelicalism that's in Brazil. But they just, they have such a... So... That's always interesting. In Carmel, when Charlie started his church, he started in his house. Nobody would come. It's way too personal. I'm not coming to your house. They would tell him, I am not stepping foot in your house for church. Because, again, it's a small city. Everybody's related, and everybody's going to know you went to that weirdo's you know, house. And so the day, though, that he got a building in their inaugural service, they had like 120 people there, and now other churches. His first service with only the people from the city they started over like 40 people. And so um, inviting them to church, to a building, an actual location, seems to work very well, at least in the area where we've ministered. Now, it does not seem to work to invite them to come to a house church. So that's one thing that we're looking to change when we go down south is, Lord willing, we're going to find a, a building to rent, renovate it, and we're going to start off right that way. Yes, sir. Um, not so far, um, although if anybody kept up with the news, we have a new president in Brazil, 
who is 100% socialist, and he's not hit it at all. So he came in power in January, and I don't say a lot of this stuff from the pulpit because I don't believe it's a place for politics, but he is planning on changing a lot of things. He's already changed things to become very difficult in a lot of ways in Brazil. If he has his way in the next four years, Brazil will be a socialist country. And, um, and then I don't know that we'll ever have another president. So it's up in the air. Right now, Brazil, you can go and you can witness as you would like. Uh, but he did promise when he was candidating that he would send all of the missionaries home. He would send all the missionaries back. So he called them the white cows, which is very derogatory. So we don't know yet. Uh, so far, everything's normal. You can witness and you can do whatever you'd like. You can have church, church as you would like. But there is a possibility that things could change quickly. So that is a prayer request of ours, that God will allow us to ha have wisdom to do things correctly. When we found out that he was changing all kinds of stuff, we've had a website about our family this whole time. And when the first thing he did in office was to institute a branch of the government that's over all social media in Brazil. They look at everybody's social media. And if you say anything, and you implemented the law, that if you say anything against the government, you are liable to go to jail. You can't go to jail for saying anything against the government now. And so they're tracking people on social media that do that. So we immediately got rid of our, our web page so that who knows how far he'll take this, and hopefully it's a little harder to find us eventually. But that God will give us wisdom that we can do things correctly so that we can serve as long as possible in Brazil if things do go bad. So far, they're not. Yes, sir? Yeah. No, initially, yes. I can remember as a, as a younger um, kid and as, in my teenage years, the Catholic Church had a lot of power, and the Catholic family would have a lot of opposition to anybody that got saved. But in recent years, and I think this is in a lot of Catholic countries, the younger generation, they're tired of seeing the hypocrisy, and they're tired of being part of the Catholic Church. So if they're Catholic, it's a name only. I mean, they can go to Mass Sunday morning, and as they, people go in, they, they take their, their um, candles in, and they light them, and they say their prayers, you know, it, even not in Mass, but as they're praying. And they're supposed to leave them there in front of the, 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 the idol, the saint that they prayed in front of, and leave it, and it has to burn all the way down, right? It has to finish. That's, that's been tradition. Well, now the priests will go and they'll blow them out and resell them again out front and <laughs> showing the hypocrisy again. And now the Catholic Church will have a, a beer stand on the way out so anybody can buy the church's beer, you know, on their way out. So the kids are looking at that, and they say, well, I don't want any part of that. So in a way, that is, uh, you have to get through that where now they don't want anything with religion. But I think our biggest opposition is the new evangelicalism in Brazil, the, the speaking in tongues, the, the, you know, you give this, and God will give you that. That's in Brazil very strong. And, but the problem is they do give truth sometimes. And so people come to you with, they're very messed up because they have a little bit of truth and a bunch of lies, and it's all mixed in. And so they come with all of that, and to get them saved from that is tough. And then after they're saved, they have all of that baggage that you need to work through. So I would think that's probably the biggest challenge we face right now is new evangelical churches. Yes, sir? I love it. Uh, but, you know, it's so the typical food in Brazil is beans and rice. They eat beans and rice for for lunch and dinner. And so, but, so breakfast is typically, obviously, they drink a lot of coffee. So they'll drink coffee in the morning, and um, they have a bakery in each subdivision in Brazil. So you can get up and get your fresh bread product, produce, every morning. So they get up at like 4.30 and start their baking. And so the whole 
uh, neighborhood will come by from them every morning. So that's breakfast, and they have the cheese breads, the ponjikizra, which are amazing. And then lunch usually is traditionally and religiously at 11. So your lunch hour is from 11 to 12, and usually you don't see anybody doing anything. So they'll... <laughs> They'll eat lunch, and then they lay down and just chill or rest or sleep. Or, um, so they'll eat rice and beans and a salad and some meat, and some, sometimes some pasta, but not much. And uh, dinner follows on that. Am I missing anything? So dinner looks a lot like lunch. And uh, so the weirdest dish, I guess, that I've had to eat growing up was something called feijoada, which is a black bean dish in Brazil. And it dates all the way back to when the slaves would get the leftovers from the, the plantation owners, and they would be given the black beans, which weren't the best beans, and then they would be given the leftovers of the pig. And so they put all of that in the big tub. And so you have pig head, snout, ears, tongue, tail, feet, all of those delicious parts <laughs> thrown into this black bean soup uh, dish. And so they would boil that, and then that's what you got. That's called feijoada. And so traditionally, that's how they make it in Brazil. You go to somebody's house, and I've many times fished out an ear or a hoof, and you got to eat it because you're being polite. And uh, so that was tough. But now they only do it with pre pretty much good cuts of meat. So if you come to Brazil and you ate feijoada, now you're safe. If you came to Brazil and you ate feijoada 15 years ago, you got to eat it. So that, that's changed a lot. Yes, sir. Yes, um, that's usually the last things I mention because I believe God will provide. But it, initially, we will have, um, so in Brazil, for you to rent, when you rent any property, you have to have two co-signers on your rent. So typically, you only rent in a place where you know people. But obviously, we don't know people, so we're going to have to, they have a renter's insurance, which is a 10 to 12-month down payment of the um, United States paid advance, the, the, the value of the rent. So that initially is pretty hefty chunk of money, especially if we're renting a, a building large enough to start a church. Um, and then we've had a few things donated because uh, Lord willing, another family that I went to college with, they're going to be going down as well. So their name is Zach and Stephanie Gerwitz. And um, somebody donated a keyboard. So God has slowly given things towards that. We've gotten a couple sound equipment things. But we'll, you know, there will be the overhead of buying books, Bibles, uh, songbooks, uh, um, chairs, uh, renovating the building, um, but I, I believe God will definitely provide all of that. And then for us, we're gonna we're gonna move all of our stuff 14 hours south. So I don't know if that's even gonna be worth the price of a truck to bring it down, but uh, we'll see. Uh, so it'll, it, I have no idea what all it'll be, but I know God will take care of all of that. So anybody else? All right, I think. So if you, yes, ma'am, I sure can. If I no, yeah, I was gonna say if I can remember it, but I can't. Uh, John three sixteen is usually what I quote because everybody knows John three sixteen. So I'll say it in Portuguese. It goes like this: João três dezesseis, porque Deus amou o mundo de tal maneira que deu seu filho unigênito para que todo aquele que nele crer não pereça, mas tenha a vida eterna. Amen. Amen. So that's John three sixteen. Three sixteen. It sounds like Spanish. Probably sounds like Italian a little bit. Not quite. Okay, like I said, sounds like Spanish. But um, 
Yes, yeah, it, it rolls very well. And, uh, but as we found out, it's a little difficult to learn. But uh, it, it, it is a beautiful language. And as I said, it's a beautiful people in Brazil. We loved everywhere we've gone to visit. Um, and the two places couldn't be more different. Where we ministered in Carmel, when we, would, we lived in town, obviously, when we would get up and I would go make my coffee in the morning, I would look out the window of my kitchen. My kitchen window looked right into my neighbor's bathroom window so I could watch my neighbor shower in the morning because we were six feet apart or maybe eight feet apart, the houses. So that's how I grew up. And uh, so in town, you don't really, you have maybe four feet, maybe a big, big area, six feet between the walls, your house wall and your outer wall to their wall. Um, and so not a lot of room. But in the south, um, again, they're, they're European and they have European style houses. It gets cold down there, which it doesn't really get cold where we're at. They have lawns. And we were there during the rainy season. It rained almost every day, and not a single person's grass was more than like an inch tall. They were out there mowing their grass in the rain. They, they love it. And so it's totally different. So it's going to be a, a learning curve for us, but we're very excited, and we're excited to see what God will do. I, I personally don't know why there are not more missionaries down there, because it's a lot more like the States than where I grew up. But maybe we'll find out why there haven't been a lot of missionaries there. But it's exciting. It's exciting to just give yourself to the Lord, no matter where you're at, and see what God will do. And, and that's what we're excited to see. Again, that, that's why it's been such a huge blessing for us to come back here to see what God has done in a short five- to six-year period. God has just really worked. And imagine what God can do in another five to six years if we're all sold out, willing to serve the Lord. He can do amazing things. Pastor, is this when I go in? Okay. All right, if you open with me, I was trying to pray and uh, wondering what I should bring. Just open your Bibles with me. This might seem like an interesting passage, but you'll, it'll make sense in a little bit. Psalms 37. Psalm 37. And this is, I believe, y'all's missions month, correct? This is when God hopefully is going to challenge you and make us grow. Amen? Amen. Now understand, missions is a lot more than just money. Okay? It involves money. It is a big part of it. But missions is way more than just that. Amen? Unfortunately, too many churches, when they, when they hear missions, they immediately cut the preacher off because they think, oh, here comes another message on money. We should give money, give above and beyond, right? But missions is way more than that. It is not only about money. It involves way more than that. And so, Lord willing, this month, with every message, with every service, God is going to challenge you to grow a little more in your faith, in your walk with God. So, I would like to look at a few verses in this. Let's read from verse 1 through verse 7. And then we'll get right in to um, these few verses tonight. Psalms 37, verse 1 through verse 7. The Bible says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord, and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you bless us right now as we look at your word. I pray that you speak to our hearts, Father. I pray that you show us something from your word that we can apply in our lives, Father. 
and that we might truly leave here tonight changed than when we came in. We might leave here different, Father. Lord, if there's somebody here tonight that's not saved, I pray that you'd be working in their, in their life and their heart right now and show them their need of salvation, Father. For the day of salvation is today. It's right now. Lord, I pray that you would show them that they need to be saved and they would not leave here tonight without being saved. Lord, continue to work and move, and I ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So this passage has always been a blessing and also a challenge to me and to my wife over the years. But um, I would like to jump straight to verse 3. It's interesting. Verse 1 and 2 and the end of verse 7 kind of speak of the same thing as we're not to fret about other people uh, who are doing wrong. It, It is interesting, though. Sometimes in our life, as you look at the world around us, it looks like the people doing wrong are the ones getting blessed. And as we're trying to do right, we don't seem to get it. Am I the only one that sometimes? Okay. But the truth is, we're not to fret about that. Amen? It, everything doesn't go right for them. And truly, we have everything, and they don't. And so we're not to even worry about that, not even look at that. But look at verse 3 with me real quick, if you will. It says, Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. I would like to focus on the first verse, first word of the verse, and it says, To trust. To trust. Tonight, if I asked you, do you trust God? Trust means to be bold, to be confident, to be secure, or to be sure in something or someone. And tonight, if I asked you, do you trust God? I believe all of us would say we do. Amen? If you've accepted Christ as your Savior tonight, you've probably taken the biggest step of trust in your life. Amen? You've trusted God with your eternal soul. What is interesting to me, and if you're like me, this happens to you, I can trust God with my soul, but I have a hard time trusting God with the rest of my decisions and my, the things that go on day to day. Anybody else like that? But is God tonight, is God trustworthy? The reason I ask this is this. The world isn't getting better. It's getting worse. Our responsibility for souls and for God's service is not getting less. It's getting greater. Can we trust, to do, trust God enough to do what he asks us to do? We should be able to. Amen. A great example of trust, and I'm going to run through this real quick, but a great example of trust is, in my mind, Abraham. Abraham was one of the greatest examples of trust. Uh, as you look at his life, you see that God told him to pick up his family and go, and he did. That's, that was a pretty good step of trust. But the greatest example of trust to me was when God had promised him a son for many years. Amen. This is common knowledge. This is something everybody knows. But it came the day that God asked him for that son in return. If you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter, real quick, um, Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll just read verse 17 through 19. It is very impressive to me to see Abraham's faith and his trust in God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, the Bible says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, when he was asked to give Isaac to God, to sacrifice him back to God, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he had received him in a figure. To me, the last verse, verse 19, is amazing because here we have a man that has finally gotten the promise from God that took years in coming. God promised him Isaac finally came. God asked for Isaac in return. Abraham was willing to offer up Isaac because he was confident enough that God could do what? Raise him from the dead. Now, a lot of times our faith, and I'm not saying always, our faith a lot of times is based upon what we have seen or experienced or read, right, on God. To my knowledge, 
And there is no way prior to this that God had ever shown himself strong enough, to my knowledge, again, to raise somebody from the dead. But Abraham was confident enough to trust God to say, I will offer my son. And I'm trusting that God, if he has to, he'll bring him back from the dead. To me, that is amazing. And I guess maybe to me now it is so amazing because I have four kids. And I can't say tonight that I would have enough trust, enough faith to offer one of my kids like that, like Abraham did. But then it poses the question, why not? Don't we serve the same God? Doesn't it take the same amount of faith to trust God with my life as it would with my kids' lives? Do we trust God tonight? The easy answer is yes. The hard answer is do we really trust God tonight? So if during this month, if God pushes you out of your comfort zone, do you have enough faith and trust to do that? Verse number four, continuing on, back in Psalms 37. So if you can get back there. Psalms 37, the Bible says in verse four, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. This is a great verse, especially among the new ecumenical movement. He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Anybody heard them saying about that? Amen. If you do this, God will give you. Amen. You just, right? But the interesting part is this, that that's the B part of the verse, and the important part is A. It's the first part. Amen. The first part says, delight thyself also in the Lord. Delight. Delight means to take great pleasure in something. Tonight, I would like to ask you and myself, when was the last time that you took time to delight in God? And that is in a lot of ways, amen? In Bible reading, in coming to church, in spending time in prayer with God. But do you know that you can do all of those things and not be delighting in God? You can read your Bible, and if you're like me, there are days you read your Bible and you finish 15, 20 minutes of reading and you remember nothing you read. You can't stand up after that and say, you took time delighting in the Lord. Here's a good example of delighting when you love something, right? So when I asked my father-in-law if Kate and I could date, he told me no. He told me no for the next three years. So we were allowed to be friends. And so we, we obeyed that and we honored that. But the interesting thing is we kind of both knew we liked each other. And so Kate would, where we saw each other most was at church. And her family, and back then I, wasn't, I was single, so I wasn't late, but her family usually didn't get to church too early. But every time I hoped they would get there very early so that we could stand in the back and talk. And so we talked, 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 talked. And then as soon as they would start singing, the choir up front would start singing, and then we would go to our prospective seats. And then as soon as Pastor finished the invitation and he said, you're dismissed, I would guess where I would be going, back over to Kate's section because I wanted to spend more time with her and talking. And then I hoped her dad would have... Many things to do so that we could stay there a long time talking. And I'll give you one guess. Why did we do that? Because we liked each other and eventually we loved each other and we delighted to spend time with each other. And if you can remember back when you first got saved, that is how it is and was with God. I got saved at five. So there wasn't a huge change in my life as in I wasn't part of any gangs unless it was the milk-drinking gang. <laughs> so those things didn't change. But I do remember this. I, for the first time, I truly enjoyed reading God's Word. And I remember that I enjoyed telling other people that I had gotten saved. I want to tell everybody that I had gotten saved. But, you know, what happens is at some point from there to now, we lose that. 
We lose that excitement and that delight spending time with God. And, and that's wrong. We should not do that. And it's amazing to me, as you look around the universe, that God created all of these amazing things. And if you look at the constellations, you look at the stars, and you look at how small the earth is compared to our nearest star, the sun, and then you continue on, you notice how insignificant and we are just a speck of dust on a speck of dust. And yet, to God, you were important enough, first of all, that he wrote 66 books to you. And then he also gave his only son to die on the cross for you. How can I wake up and not take time to delight in God? You say, why is that important? Well, how are we going to know what's right and wrong if we don't do that first? How are we going to know what God's will is for our life if we don't do that? We won't. But if you are taking time to delight in God, then God will speak to you and God will show you his will for your life. Amen? That is the truth. Delight in God. It is interesting. I was reading a book, and I, I need to hurry again. I was reading a book recently. It was, was a huge challenge uh, to my life. But he was basically the idea of the book is this. A man and his family were missionaries in Africa in a Muslim country. And during their around 10, 15 years there, um, every convert that had gotten saved would immediately get martyred. So they had nothing to show except a bunch of people that had gotten saved and gotten killed. And the last straw that broke the camel's back for them was that their son uh, was a teenager and he had an asthma attack one night and died on the way to the hospital. So they're there and they're watching people get martyred and slain and blown up and all of the civil war. And, and then the last thing is that their son, they lose their own son. And so he comes back to the States and he says, where's God? I've seen God work in the States. I've seen God work in other countries. But when we went to this country, God did nothing. Again, he's wrong. Okay, this is his attitude. And he says, so this is my plan. I'm going to travel to countries that are persecuted, and I'm going to talk to persecuted Christians and see if God is working there. And if he is, how? What's happening? How is he doing it? How are they doing it? And so he started to do that. And so both part of this, uh, the book is basically two parts, the first part of his missions work, and then the second part is of him visiting all these different countries and speaking to these different Christians. And man, it was a challenge to me because we are so... Ah, we have life so easy and we complain about everything. And there are people today that suffer every day for cause, the cause of Christ, which could mean their life, and they're willing to do that every day. So anyway, he's, uh, he went to Russia, and he was talking there, and this was right after it became a little more accepted. It was in the 90s. It was accepted for them to, to meet now. Not, they didn't have to be in secret as much as they had been. But the pastors there were telling of back in the, I think it was in the 50s, that they had had a meeting off in the middle of nowhere in Russia, and they had a teen meeting because they were curious at how well their teens knew God's word. If their teens were ready to go off to prison and suffer, and would they make it? Did they know enough of God's word to be able to suffer and to die for Christ? So they had this meeting, and they had about 700 teenagers, and so they asked the teenagers to write by memory, to write down um, all of the verses of the Bible that they could remember. And so 700 teenagers got together, and they said, and they wrote down, Matthew all the way to John with 12 errors. How many teenagers here in the States do you think it would take to do that if they could read it and read the Bible and write it down? Do you think we'd only have 12 errors? Not only that, they, they wrote by memory 1,200 hymns that they knew at the time. 
You know how that happens? By delighting in God. By spending time in God's Word. I'm a pastor. I'm a missionary. I cannot quote you, Matthew, to John tonight. And I say that to my shame because, again, this is God's Word given to me, and I don't know it that well. But it is important for us to take time delighting in God's Word. Amen? That's how those people make it through the day because it is God or nothing. And so they latch unto God, and that's how we should live our life as well. Psalm 37 and verse 5. So trust in the Lord, delight in the Lord. And then verse 5 says uh, to commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Many times I've read that, and I thought that was very similar to trust and to commit. Seems the same. But what it dawned on me finally one day is that commit means to carry out or to perpetrate, to do something. And it is possible for me, Nathan Nichols, to trust God and not commit to doing it. Right? And I've done that many times in my life, unfortunately. An uh, example is I trust that this chair right here, if I sat in it, would hold my weight. But let me ask you, am I committed to this chair yet? No, because I'm standing. When I commit is when I sit in it. And so many of us know what God wants us to do. We trust that that's God's will for our life. And as I shared earlier, that was Kate and I. We trusted God wanted us in Brazil, but we really only committed when we went. Amen? And so during this month, hopefully God is going to speak to you. He's going, and that's going to happen by you delighting in Him. Amen? Get with God. Find out what God wants you to give this year financially, but also what He wants you to give prayerfully, in prayer, for your church, your city, your people, your missionaries, also your time. What can you give of your time to God? That's going to come by delighting in God. And then the test is going to be, are you ready to co commit to doing it? A great example of commit to doing God's will, and I'm almost done, is Peter. Peter, when Christ came on the water, and he comes and they believe he's a ghost. You all remember the story? Peter says, Lord, if it's you, then bid me come to thee. Do you remember Christ's answer to Peter? He said, Peter, go ahead and step out. If you step, the water's going to be firm like the floor, and you can walk on the water. Is that what Christ said to him? The Bible tells us that he said, come. That was it. I truly believe, and again, this is Nathanology, that any of the disciples could have stepped out at that moment and walked to Jesus. Peter was the only one that had enough confidence or enough dumbness <laughs> to do it. And we always tell him how he failed because he didn't keep his eyes on the Lord. But he's also the only one that went on the one word, come. This month, and throughout the rest of our lives, Christ is saying, come. Come serve me. Come do more. It doesn't matter if you're 5 or if you're 95. There's always something to do for God. The question is, do we have enough trust to step out and do it? And Peter, he stepped out and did it for a little bit at least. Amen? And that's all we can do is we step out by faith and obey God. Amen? And the last verse that I'd like to point out, and we're done this evening, is verse number 7. It says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Here's something that I want to pass on that I believe is very important in your life and in mine. Rest in the Lord. Rest means to work or to cease work or movement in order to relax, to refresh oneself, or to recover strength. The reason this is important is this. Too many times I look, if I looked at the political problems in Brazil, I would not be resting in the Lord tonight. 
because as I look at that and I realize that I am the first Nichols that is not an outsider in Brazil. I don't have a visa. I am a permanent citizen in Brazil. So any laws that Lula changes are applicable to me. So if I disobey those laws, I will not get deported. I will get sent to jail. And all of my kids are Brazilian. If they deem Kate to be unworthy to raise them, the government will take my kids. And so is that a concern? Well, it's something I thought about. But it's not happened yet. It's not even in the works, as far as we know. That is not something for me to be worried about. Whose is that to worry about? But I'll be honest, I worried about it for a little while, okay? And every once in a while it still comes up because I would like my family, my kids, not to be raised by the government. But I still serve a God that's great enough to take care of all of that. The same faith that it took for us to commit to going to Brazil, the same faith it takes for somebody in Brazil to get saved is the same faith it's going to take for us to live day by day. This is a faith-challenging month. God, it should challenge you to increase your faith in giving and working, all these things. Can you commit to doing it? And then once you did, rest. Rest in God that he's going to do it. He's going to do the work that he promised he will. And he's going to use you exactly as he said he would. That's not easy for me to do because I would like to see the end of all of my problems. But many times that is God's to work out. Amen. Isaiah chapter 40, and I'm going to finish. I love this verse. Again, well-known verse, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31. The Bible says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They that wait or rest upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Is God trustworthy tonight? Can you trust Him? Yes. Can we delight enough to find out what His will is for our life? Yes, we can. Can you commit to obeying Him? Yes, and you should. That's how God's going to continue to grow this church. Amen? That's God, how God's going to continue to grow your missions outreach throughout the whole world, is by committing to obeying Him. And then whatever happens, just rest in God, knowing that God's going to do the work. It's not up to you and me. God can, God can use anybody. I mean, we have various examples of that in the Bible. Amen. He even used a donkey. He can definitely use me. And, uh, but I don't think we know yet what God can do with a group of people that are 100% sold out to him. And God can do great things with people like that. Amen. There's nothing special about us. We're just humans. We have flesh. But there is something very special about our God. And we should give 100% to God. Amen? Amen? So tonight, let's trust Him. Let's delight in Him. Commit and rest in the Lord. All right, let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and we'll be finished this evening. Heavenly Father, once again, I praise You, Father, for allowing us to be here on a Saturday night. Father, I thank You for everybody that gave up their time to be here. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. And I pray that You continue to speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that during this month that You would challenge all of us to do more for You. Father, not only in the area of finances, but in the area of witnessing, Lord, that we would have a hunger and a burden and a compassion for souls, Father, as we go about our day, as we look about that we might see people, truly people lost on their way to hell, and that we might do something about that, Father. Give us a fire for souls. Give us a fire to serve you, to help in any way we can, Father, to pray for our missionaries. And in any way that you challenge us, Father, we might do that 
during this month, Father. We thank you for it. We thank you for your word. Continue to work in our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor. Amen. Challenge. And I don't know if you noticed this when you came in. Um, if you happen to look to the right when you came in, those buildings that used to be there next door are gone. And uh, they, they tore them down. And, uh, you know, so I, uh, obviously that, that makes us a little nervous because uh, they're planning to do the same thing with this building here. And I talked to some, uh, somebody this afternoon that was out here, and, and he said, oh, no, they said not the church building, you know. So I said, well, good, we have at least a couple more weeks left, you know. And he said, probably, probably months. But, you know, the thing is, uh, to me, it, it's not a time to get nervous. It's time to get excited because that means God's got to do something, you know. <laughs> I mean, when we get to the point where there's no days left, then God's got to do something. And I know that he will, and that's what we've been looking forward to. So... Uh, it's exciting. We're, we're, we're moving into some very exciting times for our church, and uh, uh, this, is, this is the time to, to have faith. It's a time to trust. It's a time to rest in Him. It's a time to delight in Him and uh, delight in what He's going to do. Uh, it's going to be an exciting thing to watch, and you're here to be a part of it. It's amazing, and uh, I don't know what's going to happen next. I, I wish I did. I, I don't know where we're going to go. I don't know what God's going to do, but I know He's going to do something, and it's going to be beyond what we can ask or think. And, um, I mean, all of that that he talked about tonight goes right in with that. So, uh, anyway, we're looking forward to a good day tomorrow. Uh, we'll be here for Sunday school at 10 o'clock. And uh, Brother Taryn and his family will, obviously, they'll be back, hopefully, right? And uh, he's going to do his, he's going to give us a little presentation about Italy and uh, what they're planning to do there tomorrow morning for Sunday school. And then uh, Brother Nate's going to preach for the morning service, and then uh, Brother Taryn will preach for the evening service. So, Full day tomorrow. We're looking forward to it and excited about it. Um, if we can, as soon as we finish up here, we're going to close in prayer, and uh, we need to put the auditorium back together and get it ready for tomorrow. So uh, if you can help out with that, especially the kids, maybe uh, we'll probably have to collect the songbooks again, get them out of the way. We'll just stack them up in the front. We'll lay the chairs back out, put the tables and chairs away, and then the kids can put all the songbooks back. Sound good? I uh, appreciate everybody bringing things tonight. Boy, I think all of us ate more than we should have, but uh, how can you not when there's so much food like that? So it's a doctrine for us. We were just talking about that, right? It's, uh, it's one of those Baptist distinctives that you've got to have food and you've got to have a ton of it. And, uh, you know, there's only so many things you can do as a Baptist, so why not eat, right? That's one of those things. But uh, let's pray, and then uh, we'll get everything put back together and we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your goodness to us. I thank you for uh, the nickels and for what you've done with them already and what you will do. I pray that you give them wisdom as they uh, make this, this move back down to the southern part there. God, I, I pray that you'd make it very clear where you want them to be, that you'd provide a building for them as well, and just uh, uh, help them to be able to reach the people that you've called them to. And uh, same with all the other missionaries of ours that we support as well. God, each one of them has different challenges and different things that they face. And uh, I just pray that you would uh, work in each of their situations for them. I pray that you do the same here f for us, God. We have, uh, obviously, our situation with this building and everything else that, that's going into it. But, again, as we talked about already, it's an exciting thing. We're, 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 we're going to be able to see you firsthand uh, work in our church and in our own lives. I pray that you just help us to be prepared uh, spiritually for that and uh, uh, that you just do great things and, and use our church in a great way. Pray that you give us a good uh, day tomorrow in your house and that uh, we'd be spiritually prepared for that as well. Pray that you'd help us to be open to whatever it is that you have us to do uh, in the area of missions and in the area of home missions where we have uh, such a responsibility here. 
And God, I do pray that you give us safety as we leave from this place tonight. We thank you again for all you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.